I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Ultra Groovy Bionic. Hey, that's a good classic uh, middle name there this time. Yeah. No punctuation no in it. No punctuation, no yeah. dots. Yeah, no and coming from a musician. Yeah. That's great. And uh, this this should be something of keen interest to you, Brother Tom, because Sweetness. we have a classic guest with us that I cannot believe we are so fortunate for us and for our Futurian community uh, to get a chance to meet uh, someone who has always had a special uh, uh, mystique to me. Mm-hmm. We have this week uh, a classic guest, really a throwback to the early days of Future Quake. We have the one, the only, Sean Bonnewell, the founder and leader of the classic 1960s group, The Music Machine, and also author of the amazing book, Beyond the Garage. And our theme this week is a 60s rock icon and his harrowing road to Christ. So, Mr. Bonnewell, I just want to tell you it's such an honor to have you join us here on the Future Quake Show. The honor is mine, and it's a wonderful privilege to speak the truth of the Lord as he works in our lives. Well, that is such music to hear. Yeah. Someone who I have, I have respected <laughs> your, your musical talent and your vision so much for decades. Uh, since I was a young person, and, and through chance, when I found out some information that uh, seemed to suggest that you had had a transforming experience somewhere along your path and led me to make a cold call to your house and for the possibility of having you on our show, I tell you, it's just a thrill for me. Uh, many of our Future Quake listeners uh, my age or older, or many who are musicians in our audience, of which we have many, uh, around the world, and we have a large world audience will be thrilled to hear uh, from you and with your acknowledged role as the grandfather of garage rock, punk, it's all called different things, uh, and having played a key role in transforming the American music scene uh, as an icon established with your seminal work uh, in the 1960s radio, such as your uh, mega hit Talk Talk, uh, a song that uh, anybody who keeps up on the music scene is aware of, and your important contributions in songwriting and other artistic techniques uh, after that. Uh, you know, while you're revered by rock historians and aficionados, uh, many are not aware of your exploits in the decades since those heady days in rock's golden age. And your book, Beyond the Garage, uh, documents your unparalleled life. Uh, it's an amazing American story uh, with unbelievable twists and turns. Uh, while encountering some of the world's most influential musicians and artists in your life and some unforgettable events and experiencing the extreme highs and lows of, uh, of life itself and, and celebrity, the uh, life chase- choices you made, some of the regrets you've had, and even redemption, uh, thankfully and miraculously all leading to God's throne. Uh, you know, I read every word of your book. It's a 427-page book. It's autobiography. And I have to admit that I felt like I took sort of a psychedelic trip myself just getting through this material. <laughs> it is the most heady writing. Um, I mean, it's really, I, I, don't, I don't think it should be called prose. It's really more poetry than it is pose, prose because every single word in this has some kind of multi-level meaning to it. And uh, I was enraptured by it, but I was also exhausted by it. 
And uh, I can tell people get their money's worth when they get this book because every page you can sit there and just sort of meditate uh, on, on what you're going with and on every page. Uh, to, to that's a wonderful compliment. Thank you very much. And that's uh, it's uh, the the experience of my life and, and, and especially as it translated in into Beyond the Garage, the book, um, was the result of uh, an encrypted memory uh, um, that was uh, divinely inspired. Uh, the uh, the accompanying uh, music, forty years of writing and recording. Um, uh, shortly uh, after uh, I gave up on the music machine and started a solo career in my my search for the truth. Um, I led a rather nomadic life, and it's uh, no small miracle that all of those materials and memorabilia and all those recordings uh, I carried with me across the United States uh, for for 15 years and and didn't lose any of it. And uh, the uh, when it came time to to finally write the book, um, I thought it might take me three years, but it took me nearly 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, from beginning to end, and that includes the first edition, which was called Talk Talk, which should not have been. Both were self-published, but uh, you know, it's just something that you have to do. And your first time out, you don't fully understand the challenges that uh, mm-hmm. that are required uh, to to meet. And uh, but the Lord guided me every step of the way. I have a question for you. Uh, I, uh, there's a great deal of humor. At least I know that I imparted a great deal of humor in, in the book. And uh, there are, with just a handful of exceptions, very few people ever mention it. So I have to ask you, what passage or chapter or general topic can you remember that made you laugh out loud? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's so many of them. It's like saying... Uh, which of the which of the jewels do you like best in the New Jerusalem? You know, um, I, I tell you, your foray into Mexico when you went oh, south oh. of the border on a tour and trying to come back intact with uh, all of your band members, <laughs> or at least to retain most of them on your way back and not yes. not be totally destroyed. Uh, I tell you, you know, the thing, the legacy that was left with me is some harrowing stories, and I don't know if we'll touch on them in the later questions here, but. Uh, a particular experience you had with some people who who had been taking some uh, psychedelic substances, and and the host uh, who, who who sort of took a violent turn, and and you go into detail about the the transformation that was happening to him, and when you felt your life was in danger, just simply trying to get out of the room of the people doing it. I tell you, that had me riveted. It was like Edgar Allan Poe reading it. <laughs> uh, I it, felt. I mean, I felt like I had been through the experience. That that's the. You know, again, that's a, just a, a splendid compliment because, uh, uh, as a writer, apart from the fact that I'm uh, I'm transposing the experience onto the written page, so that the the reader can experience it themselves, which is the purpose of it, you know. But to to have you say that that has been accomplished. Is I, I, no writer could ask for more. I mean, you just simply cannot achieve more than that because that's really what your goal is: is so that the, the reader is absorbed into the experience, uh, 
um, and which is probably why it it it, uh, it took me as long as it did. You know, it, writing a book is uh, especially an autobiographical uh, treatise on one's life. As uh, uh, I think that if any of us who have done it knew what we were getting into, he wouldn't have started. You know, I mean, it's it's wonderfully therapeutic and and deeply inspirational because you. Uh, uh, in my case, I had to completely rely on the Lord mm-hmm. in, in order. You know, he. I I, I followed a, a regimen of writing. I would get up, you know, about four o'clock in the morning, and I would write inspirationally from uh, from the previous day's uh, mm-hmm. writing. By that I mean I would write in, uh, from about four till noon. And I wouldn't worry about grammar, sentence structure, and so forth and so right. on. It was, it was free thought, you know, free consciousness into the stream of things. And uh, then I would go and do lunch and in uh, my daily domestic chores, whatever they might be. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd return. And what I would do is I would go back to the previous morning's writing and then do the cleanup. I would, mm-hmm. you know reorganize it so that um, uh, it was the grammar was correct and and you know I would do the editing the the first draft editing not of that morning but of the previous morning if you're following me so that every morning when I got up to do the inspirational free consciousness mm-hmm. writing I had a uh, a scenario mm-hmm. uh, from which to work forward from, and uh, uh, this is something that you know. I, I'm I'm certain that 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 uh, the Lord led me into this method of writing because it it uh, I didn't require you know any outlines or anything mm-hmm. like that. I had them all in my my mind. And uh, well, brother now, Sean, uh, if I could just tell you, I think some of that free thought consciousness kind of thing was still retained in your book after everything else, because it was such a unique read. Uh, I felt like I was sitting in the room with you. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there. but No, that's I, fine. No. It, it made me feel like I've, your mind sort of wandered from poetry to some, some narrative to commentary on what just happened, and it was a fascinating read. It It made me feel like you were the kind of fascinating person who I would go over to in the neighborhood and want to hear some more stories in the garage of what was going on and what was going on in your head. And um, it really helped me get to know you as a person. But one thing it did make me do, too, is, uh, you know, before I read your book, I felt like I'd had a pretty fascinating life and had a lot of big adventures and have had a lot of amazing things in my personal life. But I sort of felt like the Maytag repairman after I had read (laughs) your book because you've lived life to such extremes. And I, I just want to tell our listeners, if you're confused who it is we're talking about, uh, everyone on, on our show is uh, Internet literate, go over to YouTube and just type in the music machine. Type in Talk Talk, and you're going to see a really, really, oh, a, a lot of great videos, but you're going to see one intense video uh, of their biggest hit, Talk Talk, and you're going to see some gentlemen dressed in black, all black, uh, sort of with some mop top hair like the Beatles, and they're going to have one black glove on. And you're going to see a very charismatic front man leading them. And you can tell they're just not another band from the 60s. And this is the gentleman we're talking to 
today in this interview. And his life uh, is certainly indicative of the kind of spirit or mystique that you get when you watch him perform in action. And there was something I wanted to ask you, Brother Sean, to get started. You spend a good part in the beginning of your book talking about your upbringing and some uh-huh. of the challenges of your upbringing in your family. And uh, I wanted to see if you could mention a little bit about how some of the older males in your life, both your father and some of the other older gentlemen that were around you, how did they influence what made you the person you became and, and I, how your perception of life was sort of founded early in those days? Uh, I would have to say that... Uh, uh, I was I was mentored at a distance by by my two grandfathers uh, because I, I lived with one of them uh, during my preteens, my early teens, my uh, my first year in high school, and uh, uh, I had uh, four stepfathers, so I wasn't really very confident in uh, aligning myself with uh, with the mature men as father figures i didn't really um and and i don't i don't bemoan that in fact uh i i it's taken me some time to resolve this but i believe that without the overall background that uh that marked my my childhood, I would have not become uh, a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I would have not yeah. had that that prerogative urge to express myself. Uh, I always could sing. I, I I think I started writing songs in my little head when I you know when I lived in East San Jose in the foothills back in those days. The deer would come down to our garden, you know, and and, and eat the eat the lettuce and tomatoes, but uh, um, I would go in for long hikes in, in, into the mountains, and there, back in those days, it was very wild, and I would sing and make up songs as I as I hiked along the trails, and um, and then, of course, uh, uh, I would make periodical visits to, to, my, to my grandparents, and uh, I really tried to stay as distant from the from uh, my stepfathers as 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 I could, and I I, I don't want to get into that right mm-hmm. now because really anyone who's interested in in how someone ends up uh, to the general public, uh, known as the grandfather of punk, uh, <laughs> which I you know I don't I disavow that mm-hmm. that altogether. For a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but the the angst in my early music machine songs is born from an attitude of uh, protective survival, and uh, and it gave me a hard edged desire to find and know the truth in all things, and uh, because I could tell the Adults around me, for the most part, with the exception of my grandfathers, mm-hmm. were uh, were spewing propaganda. I, mean, I didn't know what that word meant, yeah. you know, when I was nine years old, but I knew what it was, and I knew it wasn't true. 
and I knew the things that I was being told and asked to do and not to do went against um, an, an inner light mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. that was there. And of course, I wasn't a born again Christian. I was raised a Catholic. Um, not that all Catholics are not born again. I'm just saying that I wasn't as as a what we call a California Catholic, I wasn't really introduced to Christ. I, I really didn't. I really didn't know who he was. By the time you, you wade through all those patron saints and the Holy Mother and so forth and so on, you you never get mm-hmm. you you never get to a personal relationship with Christ. It's not it's not available. And especially back then, because we're talking in the mid fifties when the mass that I would go to when we did go when my mother did take us me, my brother and I um, they were in Latin mm-hmm. so I mean the whole thing was nothing but ritual and pomp and circumstance and done in the language you know that I didn't understand and uh, you, you know what I was left with the, the sensation of reading through all because it, it was painful for me because I grew up in a very very different family environment mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up in a strong nuclear family here in the Bible Belt uh, in this area, you know, where mom and dad took me to church every week at the Baptist church. And and there wasn't a question, you know, dad never even left to go away on business, much less anything else. So, you know, not not that we didn't have tensions in our house at times and things. But what I, the, what the impression I got is that you had a grandfather who not only gave you a real taste for music and high standards, for high quality standards of music mm-hmm. and jazz, but also he told you to look in surprising quarters in right. your goal to achieve excellence, to go into the black community, right. to, to really find real answers on how to do it, to sort of go against the grain. Whereas you had other family members who seemed like we're living in a little bit of a fantasy world, an unreal world of expectations, and living this idealistic world that they couldn't live up to, and you could see the phoniness of it. Mm-hmm. But you found some kind of venue of truth through music. Yes, it was... Um, uh, there is one thing that all inspired music uh, contains, and that is its uh, its unmitigated honesty. Um, that that is what makes one song or one performer's rendition of a song uh, brilliant, uh, shine outshine all the others. Is is the is the true honesty of the soul. Um, now, that's not to say that an artist can't be deluded and, and think that he or she is singing the truth, because there are there are many such things. But the common denominator is a faithfulness to what is more than a perception of truth. It is it is the core value. Uh, this is what really turned me on to 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 pursue a career in music. Was I was 14 years old and I heard the Platters' "Only You," and it was, I was at some little high school party and um, or pre uh, junior high party, and uh, they had that record. And I I uh, you know I I laid on the floor in their little living room there and I played that "Only You." I played I laid down and I must have played it 50 times because the unmitigated forcefulness of the convictions of, of of his voice, the way he was singing those words I knew that that's 
what I had to ca- I had to capture somehow. I had to mm-hmm. I had to understand that if I was going to sing something to someone or to people, they had to believe me. The the, the audience knows when you're not sincere. It, it's very exactly. it's true in acting too. Mm-hmm. So. I would have to say that. Uh, By the way, when you're preaching, it, it's the same thing's true too. When oh you, yeah. When you're sharing the word, it comes off clearly to others. Yeah, the, it, well, that's a prerequisite. There's no question about yeah. that. I mean, if the Holy Spirit isn't leading you, you're, you know, you just might ask people to, you know, to serve them a plate of cold gravy with a hair in it. You know. <laughs> mm, that sounds like hair. a Tom Bionic reference. That's what I would. <laughs> you know, speaking of, of your uh, growing up. Um, and, and the impact of music, not only when you heard that kind of music at a key time in your life did it stir your heart, but it seemed to show you where you found a niche of acceptance with your peers. Because, uh, and now, I remember another heroin case where you, I believe you were in Oklahoma, or, or something where you actually had your hair grow long, and that put you into some hazardous condition with some bullies there at school, uh, I can remember. But... Um, how did the way the kids treat you, as far as like the the coolness when they saw you singing and stuff like that, did that help you lead you into music as well, in seeking fulfillment? Did you see the the impact that you had on other people when you sang, and that, that sort of made the path straighter for you in that direction? Um, it did, but for a, a rather obtuse reason. Back in 1955, when I was 15 years old and 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 a, and a sophomore in high school. You couldn't play sports and be in the school musicals. You you couldn't divide your time or talents. You had to uh, you had to be allegiant to one group or clique of people, and that was it. You were not allowed to uh, splinter yourself in any way to, mm. to diverge from uh, this identity and. Uh, too much self-identity was definitely frowned upon, and and it was, I mean, it was very. It, my experience in high school was harrowing. It it really was, but it helped me formulate uh, a, a rather iron concrete path toward my goals and what what it would require of me to achieve those goals. And it, it just set my resolve even more because I did I did sing the lead of Curly in Oklahoma, and I was on the baseball team. I was playing varsity when I was a uh, sophomore, so uh, I was in a fight nearly every day. And uh, the uh, uh, there was no acceptance. It was the opposite of acceptance. But the only place I felt truly at home was on stage and mm-hmm. this started uh i think it was in the eighth grade when uh, mrs wheeler our, our eighth grade teacher you know every homeroom had to you had to go and do us an assembly you had to put on skits and do talent show you know uh, once once a month and so our homeroom had this uh this opportunity it was the very first i had sung for my my relatives and and i, I and you know just when prodded, you know, mm-hmm. I would stand in acapella and I'd sing some song that I knew from the radio, but without much conviction and a little self-consciously. It's more difficult to sing for people you know than it is for, to sing to strangers, sure. believe me. 
but uh, so Mrs. Wheeler said, well, you know, we want you to sing Tom, and I was known as Tom then, and uh, Thomas Sean is my name. So, um, so I chose "Don't Let the Stars Get in Your Eyes, Don't Let the Moon Break Your Heart" by mm-hmm. uh, Perry Como. Right. And the other one was "Once I Had a Secret Love," and uh, <laughs> and I sang both songs a cappella. And I, I have to, I have to admit, I was nearly terrified because. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I got going, I was I was fine, and then mm-hmm. there was a big cheers and applause and whistles right. and and uh it it sort of it sort of uh astounded me uh yeah. the acceptance uh and hmm. uh there was ma- there, yeah there was magic there from what i sort of read from the you know of a, of a certain form the, right there, there was something where where you showed you had something special uh and it was people were responding to it right um, you, if you don't mind, I want to skip on, and I want to suggest our listeners get, because our time goes so quickly, I want them to get your book. Again, it's called Beyond the Garage, and I will have a link uh, where our shows are archived, where they can get yeah, find out how to get this book. Uh, and I'm going to uh, let our listeners who are interested to get your book to find out the fascinating details of your rise to fame. Uh, first with the folk group, The Wayfarers. Uh, in which, by the way, some of the music I got of yours that had that, I really enjoyed the the Wayfarers uh, folk music too. Uh, and then your own legendary group uh, and vision, really, of yours called the Music Machine, mm-hmm. which you're most known for, and its descendants uh, that came after it, uh, various versions of it. And I could literally spend hours talking with you about that because that's the kind of things I'm really keen on. Uh, but I want to focus here mostly on the spiritual elements of the path that you've trod here. In fact. Um, it was interesting, though, that you cavorted really as a peer and as a distinguished pioneer in new rock forms with guys like Jim Morrison of The Doors and Eric Burden of The Animals. Uh, these were guys who, again, considered you a peer to theirs, and certainly your star was meteoric at the time uh, when, when their activities going on, and you describe some of your your actions with them and those are some some things that are really be interesting to our listeners when they read about you spending a night on the town with eric burden of the animals or uh-huh. or being at the uh whiskey a go-go with uh jim morrison and others and, and, and there's many other celebrities that you talk about who admired your work and vision and because of that that you had access to them and uh, you discuss a lot of them in your book but of, of these rock and music icons that you talk about who were some of the ones you met with, with whom you mostly connected with, and most respected? Well, uh, I'm, I'm not many realize uh, that most of the '60s rock uh, icons came from folk music. And when I toured with the Wayfarers, I started with a little trio in, in college called the Noblemen, and, uh, and then uh, was. Uh, was asked to join the Wayfarers, <laughs> and they had an RCA recording contract. So, uh, and we did three albums. Mm-hmm. And so, touring with the Wayfarers, uh, I met most of, if not all, of the rock icons uh, of the '60s who were then in folk music, and, and including Roger McGuinn. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. But. What they did was, and what I should say what we did, was we just electrified our, our guitars 
and uh, and once we turned the volume up, and then we had the uh, the counterculture consciousness uh, to to write and perform songs that were relevant to the uh, to the counterculture of of the time. And because we had the background of folk music in in the folk days. Uh, you had to be entertaining uh, on stage. You had to, you had your your set, your 45 minutes to an hour had to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And uh, you had to have snappy patter, you know, with, with some humor at least, and and uh, and some relevance and and some profundity in in your songs and the and the things that that you chose. I, I go into the folk era. Extensively in the book because I the uh, I think it uh, I think it embellishes the understanding of of where this mid '60s rock mm-hmm. renaissance really came from because that's where it did come from it, it came from the uh, the the desire to be relevant to your times and so uh, what about the British what about the British uh, '60s icons. I know they had somewhat some folk uh, antecedents there in the UK. No, but. no, they kind of they kind of came in on the coattails of of the rock resurgence or the, the renaissance of, of uh-huh. the rock. Uh, uh, and the uh, uh, I, I remember uh, it, I think I recount this in the book. Uh, years later, I I had uh, a late lunch with a. Uh, Jim McGuinn, who was Roger McGuinn, he changed his mm-hmm. name because of the birds. Eastern mysticism. And mm-hmm. uh, we were pl- shooting pool and having a beer and a, and a sandwich. And uh, and uh, uh, we <laughs> we I had it. I had known him before, and the story of uh, of uh, how we met and, and so forth and so on is is it, it's all in the book. And the uh, but the thing that we agreed upon, you know, he. he he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I think the one thing that most people don't understand is that being a leader of a band is like trying to lead a pack of wild dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I can identify with that. Uh, so it, it's uh, the British themselves. Uh, uh, I mean, when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, uh, I felt my hair start to grow, and I began to realize that I could write. And we're talking 1964, and I was still with the Wayfarers at that time. And uh, um, I, I, be, I, I realized that I could, I could set my own course. I, there were no limitations on my writing or, or, mm-hmm. or styles or anything. I, I could invent it, and uh, I really owe that to the Beatles because they. They, there was a minor epiphany there. I realized mm-hmm. that that there were no restrictions. Uh, that my creativity mm-hmm. was could be boundless, and so I, I started writing for the Music Machine at that time when, when I saw them. But not not their pop style mm-hmm. top of, uh, type of a uh, song. So just songs that were uh, that were relevant culturally and. Uh, and I also must say that, uh, as you know, as, as a Christian, we are all given spiritual gifts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one in particular is, is uh, we are anointed by the Lord to have. And some of us who are, who are destined to, to come to believe 
in the truth of Christ, <clears throat> that spiritual gift will be manifested in, in some way in our lives, even though we, we don't know it. For instance, the, the gift of exhortation you know, can be translated into everyday life to, the, to, to a then non-believer. You can, be, you can become an excellent salesman because you can exhort and enthusiastically encourage someone into, a, into buying something. And so the gift of exhortation is enthusiastically encouraging people to come to Christ. See, that's the ultimate. But, but that doesn't mean that it, this gift will not operate in the, in, the, in the world because it does and it will. Well, you know, well, he, called, he called some fishers and he wanted them to become fishers of men. Right. And hmm. and took that the, what they knew about how to fish and outsmart fish and mm-hmm. go to where they were and apply that in reaching men. So I could see that principle applying. Well, and, and you know, there's the gift of serving and the gift of mercy, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and you know, I mean, there there are seven major gifts, and there are the offices and the ministries of those gifts as well. Well, my unbeknownst to me, my particular gift is the is the gift of discernment or the gift of prophecy and that's not pro, that's not telling the future that's proclaiming the truth the gift of prophecy in in this context is proclaiming the truth and this is what my music machine songs the songs that I wrote for the music mm-hmm. machine this is what they really did because it, you know you, masculine intuition was uh, uh, addressed women's liberation and the falsification of of uh, the Unification of genders. There's no difference mm-hmm. between genders. I mean, I saw that coming, and uh, I wrote masculine intuition before, in, what, five years before there was such mm-hmm. a thing as women's live. And the eagle never hunts the fly uh, about the dangers of one world government and, and the antichrist. And without really understanding, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mother Nature, Father Earth, which was the very first ecology song that I ever knew about, and that was 10 years before we knew what the word ecology meant, before it became mm-hmm. part of the uh, English well, lecture. you know, this may be the gift of prophecy uh, that you were showing. Right, right. You know, the yes. gifts of the prophecy. I was proclaiming the truth as they're, I knew it. Right, yeah. they're written on the subway walls and tenement halls, so this was just another, <laughs> you know, same, same uh, approach to what you were doing. It was a giftedness there that needed to be corralled for God's for God's use. Some exactly. people would dispute and say, "Oh, you don't get any of those until you fully come under God's will." And I, oh, I'm not I so don't sure think about that's that. That's true at all. That's I, not, no, that's not true at all. I think I think the Apostle Paul had tremendous gifts, even when he was Saul, and God put them to his use, as well as uh, you know giving him additional things as well too. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention real quick, because I, I know our, our our time keeps moving here, is. Uh, some of the famous people you met, and by the way, uh, when you talked about going backstage and meeting Otis Redding, I think he confessed the same thing to you about the difficulties of trying to keep a band going and afloat. Yeah. And and the thing that I that I picked up on is all these famous people that flunkies like me who are out there just fans and seeing how these guys have all these great things happening. And you know, I'm a fan of reading liner notes on the back of albums, and I would read about some of their foibles and the difficulties of keeping a band together, and then they'd come unglued. And, and now I can go read Wikipedia and watch YouTube and learn more. But uh, you, you don't really pick up the fact that that is a perpetual struggle, even for those who appear to be very successful. Uh, you've got unscrupulous record producers. You've got all the businessmen and the agents that are taking away every little penny. If you have, you know, you're, you're paying for scores of people that are getting rich off of you, 
and you're trying to scrape enough to keep paying the money to be on on tour, and, you know, and take care of all this. And and it seemed like it was a consistent kind of issue for all except just a few. Uh, this is a problem. But one thing that stood out for me with the famous people that you were around, like Jim Morrison and others, was was what I would describe sort of an inherent loneliness mm-hmm. that it seemed like came out in their lives. Uh, was that something that you picked up on as a as a theme of the most famous people? Was this this feeling that they were disconnected and really unfulfilled in some way, and not being able to put their finger on it, even at their biggest peak of fame? It was, um, you know, I, I, this is I don't know who first originated this particular thought, but it is said that there's a place in our hearts that's reserved for Christ, and that before we we come to him, we throw everything we can into that empty place, and of course it can't be filled. And I think this is what, this is indicative of, of nearly every person that that, uh, uh, that I was fortunate enough and privileged en- enough to, to encounter along the way. And um, Steve McQueen and uh, uh, even Jonathan Winters and uh, uh uh, of, of course, Morrison was a very dark star, and uh, he, mm-hmm. very, very lost. Uh, you know, I, I deal with that in the book, and, and even mm-hmm. Eric Burden with his anger, you know, right. at, at, at the world. Uh, so, but uh, you know, it was, they all count for different reasons, or they all think that they have a, a unique desperation. Mm-hmm. But it's all the same wandering sorrows. It's all trying to fill that place in our heart that, that is reserved for Christ with something that isn't Him or belongs isn't His heart, because He gives us a new heart. Mm-hmm. He fills that place, that empty place in our hearts, with His heart, and that's the only thing that can fulfill us. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that that gives us mm-hmm. meaning and purpose and peace and. Uh, was was alcohol, drugs, and women probably the three main things that most of these people used as a surrogate to try to fill that hole? Well, of course. I mean, what you know, when you have such a you have such a desperate search for significant identity, and 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 you, your ego is completely in control. And of course, we know ego is the is, is pride. It's the it's the reason that Satan uh, fell. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. uh, he, uh, he be, I will become like the Most High God, and I will be mm-hmm. equal to him. You know, and 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 he was uh, a good musician. On top of that, he was the musician. All of the mm-hmm. instruments uh, that that we ever knew were actually part of his body. He's uh, he was the choir director. He was the choir. He was he was the orchestra, and he was. Uh, 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 one of the highest cherubims. I think there's only two or three of them mm-hmm. uh, that, that that the Lord created, and uh, uh, and He caused uh, He caused the, the end of the first Earth Age uh, by His rebellion. And uh, incidentally, as a quick footnote, we should we, sh- we should probably uh, for those who don't know. That, you know this coming end of the world business. There's no such thing as the, the 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 world. This earth is not going to end. It's the age that's going to end, and mm-hmm. we're we're in the second earth age. There was a first earth age, 
and we're in the second earth age, and the third earth age will be the millennium when mm -hmm. Christ returns. Sounds like some so H.G. Pember right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of confusion, even in, with, in, in, the, in the Christian kingdom, that you know, there's a lot of false doctrine and a lot of misinformation about that, because it's not... It's not the end of the world. It's the end of the age. And uh, uh, but the the power of pride and ego and self determination is is so overreaching that uh, uh, searching for the answer is futile. Uh, you know what's interesting? They, rather than them being the tools of our own fulfillment, which you would think any kind of self-centered tool would, would further our personal aims, rather than being that, they're the tools of our own demise. Yes, it is. Even for those who succeed, even, but, but what happens is they become, you know, uh, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and that, that, it's a very, very delicate line, uh, because you can't serve, uh, <laughs> you can't serve money in God. You, mm -hmm. But you can have your money serve God, and as long as you're doing that, God will supply you with all you need, mm -hmm. and then some. Uh, the, uh, the, the, in fact, you know, you you think you think about some of the wealthy men that are in the news today, and you and you wonder, you know, uh, uh, where they are in their, uh, hopefully. Uh, enlightened walk you know uh, mm -hmm. coming to Christ because uh, uh, and there are other men very very powerful very evil men who, mm -hmm. who uh, you know they have no intention of coming to Christ and they're they're deceived completely by the enemy by those no, rich by Satan and, they have uh, to get through that eye of the needle first that's the hard thing to do they got well, to you know a narrow path yes it's um there was, uh, we could go into that, but uh, the uh, it, 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 it's it's only difficult if you try and take your money with you. you right. Know, it's, right. Uh, right. So it's and you can't push it ahead of you either. But right. uh, so it's uh, it's not it's not an end unto itself, and right. that's the reason why there's no such thing as enough money, mm -hmm. see, because it's not it's not serving God, it's serving yourself and serving right. your own self-importance and and your own power uh, uh, structure and uh, right. uh, hey you speak speak I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there brother Sean no that's all right um, there's something I, I wanted you to spend some time on if you don't mind if we could talk about sure. and that and that is your spiritual journey uh, as for a host of reasons, uh, as the music machine began to die down from your peak of impact in the music industry uh, due to some unscrupulous people you're involved in, like a lot of people can attest to in their experience, uh, due to changes in the music industry, a whole bunch of things, even things going on in your own personal life. Um, you had a growing interest in New Age spirituality, uh, experiment with other drugs, and culminating eventually into soul travel, even in group incidents. These are the kind of things that we do talk about a good bit on Future Quake uh, and, and talk about, you know, from the literature and from pieces of information because we think there's a reemergence of this kind of stuff here in the last days or if, it, if we are entering it. 
Um, could you talk as someone who's actually been there and done that, and you talk about that in your book, uh, try to give us some kind of capsule of where things took you in your new age spirituality and the extent that it went? It, it, it was... I'm, the Lord saved my life at least five times, uh, and and uh, uh, and specifically uh, a few times from my investigations into the metaphysical, you know, because I, when uh, because of everything that you know that you mentioned, uh, uh, I became very disillusioned with with my career, and uh, and. And went and did a solo album for Capitol Records called Close, which is you know orchestrated ballads and, mm-hmm. and some very introspective uh, um, songwriting and singing. It was completely different from my Music Machine Rock group. And then from there, uh, I just wanted a clean slate, and uh, and I, I I went on a pilgrimage to to find God, find out if He was real. And I knew He was real, but I didn't know. Who he was, and so I, uh, I just simply went into a, a bookstore, and I collected. Uh, God help me, <laughs> uh, all this, uh, these books on metaphysics and, and so forth and so on. And I started reading and investigating, and that led me into uh, uh, my own type of meditation, and uh, and I started to. Uh, Explore uh, the, the mystic and, met, and, and metaphysical, and I knew that there was an, a reality outside of the linear, three-dimensional reality that my body was living in, and I wanted to investigate those other layers, those other dimensions of reality. I knew they were there, um, and uh, so, I mean, it's difficult to condense this because it was a right. very long and dangerous right. process. And I didn't really use drugs until I got to a certain stage where I thought that dropping acid might help me uh, into a deeper investigation of mm-hmm. it, which was ridiculous. But, <laughs> but now, if I, least. The, 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 what, what impressed me um, in sort of a scary way is that as you incrementally got further into this, and you seem like a genuine searcher right. for truth. I mean, you, you I, I didn't see a whole lot of selfish motives that were overt. They were trying to find truth, but they were definitely down the wrong path. And some of the people that you got involved in, to me, were sort of scurrilous characters. Uh, oh, they're, that they're I don't just... think they had the, quite the, the noble motives that you were trying to have. But it got to the point where there was one passage where you were talking about, or you, you got into astral projection. And yes. from your writing, it sounded like it was something real and feasible. It's probably not just an hallucination or imagination. No, no, uh, no. It's, it's but very, it, very real, Mike. But it, 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 and it's something we don't encourage. Obviously, we we say it's sorcery. No. It's uh, uh, dangerous, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's extremely dangerous because you're making yourself available to the kingdom of darkness and something and out you of your control. To, That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, the Lord protected me because of my. Uh, naivete, you know, because I was searching for him, and I'm convinced of that. Because uh, 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 I can tell you that uh, I learned how to leave my body. I, I learned how to do mm-hmm. it, and 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 uh, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, burden the listeners with the mm-hmm. with trying 
attempting to describe things that are indescribable, although right. I think I do a pretty good job in the book. Mm-hmm. And, um, the It culminated with a, and, and if you see an, a commercial for Ekin Car or you mm-hmm. hear anybody that, run, do not walk, run away from that. That is a, an insidious cult, and a, of all of them, it's probably the, the most uh, deeply deceptive. And there was a, uh, I, I hate to, uh, there's a out-of-body guide, and I won't even mm-hmm. say his name, but he's associated with Ekankar. And, and the goal of Ekankar is for you to, of course, join Ekankar, a worldwide organization, and they have all of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how to find God through going out of your body and so forth mm-hmm. and so on. And it, it's nothing but a cult that, that wants your money. That's basically all they do. But they do want power over you, and ultimately it's led by Satan. And this particular out-of-body guide is uh, the closest thing to, to to Satan that I ever came to. Uh, it all. I mean, we're talking about a number of years, but it culminated in into me taking my girlfriend and driving up to Seattle for the Ekin Car Convention. And uh, uh, I'm sure you recall that in the mm-hmm. book. And, oh, yeah. Um, that's quite a story in itself. I mean, I, yeah. it, I hope I made it as breathtaking as, as it really was. Well, your response to it is, is the great thing because this is something that we encourage people to do here on Future Quake. On, on anything like this, when we, when we encounter something... And suddenly the light comes on in our head and says, "This, this is a, sh- a sham. This is horse hockey. This is." And you know well, what? Sometimes it's worse can... than that. It was. It, it's extremely dangerous because, right. yeah. because you, you know, you 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 hear these people who uh, are found just dead lying on their bed, you know, and there's no there's no mm-hmm. reason. Well, the reason is they've left their body and they couldn't get back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, do you think there's any truth of that with Bruce Lee? You know, that was always some kind of rumor about him. Sons. That, I'm not familiar with that, his situation. Yeah. Yes. But I you wanted to so? finish this yeah. this one thing. Was, I came yeah. back to Santa Cruz and drove uh, I drove my, my girlfriend to the airport, and she went back to South Carolina, and and I was exhausted, and, and I went to the apartment, my mother's apartment there in Santa Cruz. And well, can I make it clear? I just didn't want to leave people confused there. What I was alluding to in your book was... When you suddenly realize that, that, like you said, it's very dangerous, it harms people, but, but in I'm, addition, I'm, I'm, it's a scam. Oh, and, yeah. And you, oh, and you said totally. out loud at their meeting, yes. you, you said out loud, and you were on the precipice uh, in your own mind, in your own thinking, thinking, they're picking me to be the leader of this group, right. I just know it. And then yes. suddenly you went from being so bought in and so extremely sold that you were going to be leading this thing, that, that the switch flipped completely, and you said, right. no, wait a minute, this, this, this is like a facade. There's nothing behind the smoke and mirrors here uh, right. other than danger, good old satanic danger. And I don't know if you right. understood all that at that time, but, but anyway, you knew that there was something wrong, and you spoke out loud and made a major scene there, which, which is oh, the Oh, yeah, uh, yeah they, 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 uh, they would have uh, assassinated me. I have, yeah. I have. There's no question in my mind if, yeah. if they'd have caught me because, because I did disrupt that. I mean, there was about three, five thousand people there in that in that auditorium. But yeah, uh, wow. and it, it was it was a ma- it was a major deal. And you know, sometimes to to maybe to a little lesser extent, our listeners can have an, an experience like that even in a church 
that's really screwed up or teaching terrible, foul, apostate teaching, when sometimes you just got to decide this is wrong and I got to divorce myself from this and maybe even speak up. There, there was a, uh, a major mainline evangelical church that uh, Mrs. Future and I were at not too long ago we attended, not our current church, but uh, we were there and, uh, you know, we had a main preacher get up and start preaching that there, there really was nothing in the Bible about the return of Christ. And that, that none of the prophecies how were really you, real about the, and this was an evangelical how could you group. reading the same book and right? began to make fun of people who were <laughs> began to make fun of people who were doing it. And this was a flagship church of a denomination, evangelical ones, with a lot of the people who wrote the Sunday school literature and the things like that for the church. And and instinctively, and I'm one of these guys that always likes to you know keep my nose clean, low profile, you know, be on be on good terms with the establishment. And I just instinctively yelled out, "That's not right." This is not right. And it was not something I would normally do, but when, when you have a thirst for truth, and when you see something that's just absolutely not, it is so highly offensive. And we Isn't need it? to be more <laughs> sensitive to untruth. And even if we're surrounded around people who we normally identified with, we need to call it for what it is when we encounter it. I think it's the only time that the Lord sanctions being, quote, out of control. Right. Because you're not out of control. What you're doing is reestablishing the 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 parameters of truth, you know, they get so far outside the path that you say, wait a minute, you know, you're careening over the cliff here. You know, right. you, you have to speak up. I mean, not everybody is is going to respond in that way. Right. Some people are simply because they're not they're not wired like that, and the Lord right. doesn't expect them to. Right. But uh, there are you know there's a, there's enough of us uh, you know. But the more are, you love are, truth, the more you'll hate falsehood. Oh, oh, it's just, I mean, I could tell you stories, really, you know, even cruelty to animals. I, I, mm-hmm. can, I just come unglued. I, I, right. I, I, I just cannot, I cannot, I cannot abide watching and seeing it. I, I, mm-hmm. I immediately step in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's total strangers or whatever. I, I cannot stop myself. Mm-hmm. I. I it's, it, it angers me. It's you know, and there is such a thing as as righteous anger, and I'm not talking about self righteous anger. I'm talking about the righteousness of of the Lord's truth. You know, I mean, uh, and when well, He does come back, He's coming back to judge the world. You know, you know, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, some people think He lost control of Himself there, you know, in the temple with the money changers. No, but you know, He saw an extreme untruth where where His Father was being portrayed as a thief. That these people who were doing things supposedly on his behalf were stealing money from people, and that was just too much. You know, it was something he just couldn't tolerate at the time. I didn't mean to distract you from your story, but uh, one thing I just would mention to our listeners that, that to me was one of the most harrowing parts of reading your narrative, and it was painful for me to read because I just knew how far you were from the Lord, although sometimes our path to Christ takes a weird path on how we get there. And sometimes when it looks like we're far away, it means we're farther on the step to get to him. But uh, right. even group even group uh, projection, astral projection you all experience, which is a little hard to fake as a hallucination, yes, when you were taking is. large mm-hmm. groups of people seeing the same event. Well, and well, that's, 12, 12, yeah. a total of, of 11 people and myself. And that, I mean, that's that's something that in most Christian groups would find hard to swallow, except for what we've covered on Future Quake here. But my, my co-host here, Brother Tom, uh, has developed an expertise in sleep paralysis and the spiritual yeah. warfare that's involved, which is a very common malady even for Christians. 
And it's a type of spiritual attack. And he just passed me a note that, that some of these things, that the astral projection events that go awry, have their origins and roots in extensive sleep paralysis, yeah. correct? That yeah. Uh, one of the things that you know Dr. Future mentioned, we're actually passing notes back and forth about it. Uh, he talked about Bruce Lee dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that, that some people have said that he likely had sleep paralysis, which is interesting because uh, there's uh, sleep paralysis is this thing where you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't move, and there's a, oftentimes there's like something in the room with you that attacks you. It's demonic. And, uh, um, uh, I, that, I, I've experienced that, Tom. I wondered. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bet you, I, after hearing your story, I'll bet you have. It's, it's, you very, have. it's very common. Yeah. And even people who are devout Christians, mm-hmm. have, which we, we're used to more spirit attacks being with people separated from Christ. Sure. But this is a special kind of thing sure. where, I mean, it's, it's more of a... You know, oppression or yeah. There's there seems to be. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it maybe more off the air, yeah. but I don't want to derail the interview. But there's a lot of interesting stuff. There seems to be lately. There seems to be really. You can have open doorways yourself, like you go and you play with a Ouija board a couple times. Mm-hmm. But also, if you're a like a missionary who's really in an intense area, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I've talked to some people who were working in South Korea, and they live next to a Buddhist temple, big Buddhist mm-hmm. temple, and they. They were having sleep paralysis like mm-hmm. every night. Well, he was mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz and places like that. That's almost as bad. Oh, well, oh, oh, yeah, Santa Cruz is. Yeah, I'd, I'd stay away from. I wouldn't spend the night. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be one of my favorite uh, right uh, hangouts. But uh, you know yeah, what? I, I used to go up to Santa Cruz to go get record albums. To be honest with you, I. I used to go to Monterey to the naval base. I worked there, and I'd make the drive around the bay to Santa Cruz because they had the best uh, record collections in their stores. But I did feel a cloud. It was a beautiful oh, place. Every metaphysical and alternative lifestyle that exists is in Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah, and I just and, felt I mean, this cloud. It's, 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 a, it's just a hotbed of uh, it, it's the devil's playground, you know, and, and they think they're so intellectual. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just... <laughs> It's amazing, and this is where the end of the Eckenkar story yeah. uh, uh, unfolds. As I came back out of that convention to Eckenkar, and after that harrowing experience, and and I lay down on my mother's bed, and uh, the sun was setting there in the ocean, and the in the sliding big sliding doors, and I you know I could see the the sun setting right above my toes, and I closed my eyes and put myself in the in the meditation uh, uh, out of body position and frame of mind, I said, okay, Eckenkar, and I won't say his name because I do not want to, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to introduce your audience to his name, but uh, he, he is the uh, out-of-body guardian, and I said, if you're real, show yourself to me, and uh, boy, did he ever, it was, wow. it was absolutely terrifying, and he was beautiful, he, 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 he was beautiful. And there was the distance. You have to understand that I, I, I at first, I, to make sure that I was out of my body, I, uh, this is something I had done before. You know, you hear people say, well, I was at, on, uh, at the ceiling looking down at myself. Well, you know, I had done that before, and I had made sure that I was there and that I was still connected because I had learned to uh, always be in the back of my mind cognizant of the fact that that silver thread was still connected to me. And then I went into an ether in atmosphere, and uh, 
in the distance I saw him coming toward me and he was he wasn't walking he was actually uh, his uh, I, mean, I, I, I describe him in the book but he started mm-hmm. to come to me and then he got to a certain distance and he, and he stopped and he became very irritated and this is this is the Lord gentlemen this is the Lord protecting me because the Lord prevented him from getting close enough to me because he was going to take me they would have found my body dead on that on that bed that's exactly what would have happened and and I noticed that he stopped and I was of course I was mesmerized but there was also warning bells going you know clanging in my brain and I thought this this is not as beautiful as he is this is not any this is not an angel this is not anything of god this is this is evil and 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 to think that evil isn't beautiful is a terrible mistake to make because it can be and then for a moment i thought i wonder if i should ask him a question and in in that instant something changed in his eyes there was a flicker of hope if there's if it can be said of this being and he started to come closer immediately and i i remember in my mind i said stop stop you're not allowed and he did he stopped and he dissolved and i took myself back into my body and I opened my eyes, and the sun was almost all the way down. And I looked, and the sun was glaring off of my mother's crucifix. You know, some people have mm-hmm. the crucifix on a mirror, and it was shining on on, on Christ's head, the, the sunlight. And I, I just I silently just broke into tears. Wow. And mm-hmm. I, I realized at that moment that, you know, I mean, Christ speaks to all of us in, in, in many different ways, but that's when I knew it was Him. It was He. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And, and what the Lord did partially was to take the veneer off of these diabolical spirits and show you what they really were. Right. And let them reveal themselves and feel in yourself that they were not. They didn't have anything good for you. Anything good at all. And uh, I know you, I'm certain you wouldn't tell people do not experiment and do these kind of things and think don't that even you do can play. Ouija. Don't even do Ouija boards. Right. Don't, yep. do, don't, do, don't open any door, any op- give him any opportunity to enter your life in any way. And, mm-hmm. the, and the, you know, I mean, that includes uh, things on the Internet, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, everything from even soft pornography. Don't even start it. Because it, it, it's 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 generaled by a spirit of pornography, and there's no end mm-hmm. to it. It'll it'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. It'll ruin all of your relationships, as as will any deception uh, of Satan. This is mm-hmm. not you know this is Satan's world. We are living. We are strangers in a strange land, because we are born again believers, and uh, the Lord will. Give us opportunities to 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 speak the truth of everything that we've been speaking about to others, you know. But you can't force it on people. That's one thing mm-hmm. I've learned, you know. Right. The Holy Spirit will lead you, and and he'll he'll give you the opportunity when when the time is right. But you have to be prepared. You have to keep your heart as a child, 
You know, don't lose your first love. Refresh your your spirit and your mind with the Word of God. Read at least a page a day in in in, in that wonderful uh, guidebook for life, because it, it's eternal life that we're talking about. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I want our listeners. We, we we get a lot of people crossing over listening into our our show. We, a lot of Christians listen that want to know about these matters that go on, but then we'll we'll get some people who are not yet yoked with Christ who see some of the topics we cover, uh, maybe on the internet, and will keyword sure. search and find us right now. And some of you may either be experimenting with some of this kind of stuff, metaphysical stuff, or thinking about it, or or you may be just such an inquisitive person that you're fascinated about something to take you beyond the boredom of day to day life. And I want you to listen to Brother Sean here, that he is someone who went into it with both feet as an honest inquirer, looking into these kind of things. And what I understand your testimony to say is, don't go there because you may be deceived into thinking there's something beneficial or something that can raise your consciousness or your elevation or your karma or whatever, but... Uh, there's a veneer that that looks like this, a patina, but when you take it off, it actually reveals spirits who are not looking out for your best interest at all. And when no, it totally looking, explodes they're, you, they're, they're they're intent upon your destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, whether it's the the uh, denial of God and Satan. I mean, what better disguise could Satan have than to not exist in your mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean, see the thing. The thing that most people don't understand, and and I think, you know, this is this is kind of a hard thing to hear. But listen, beloved, Satan doesn't get you; he keeps you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We are born blind. We are born lost. Mm -hmm. We are born in sin. We've already fallen. And, I mean, you can explore that. You uh, you can explore that. And, I mean, I have I've done a lot of soul searching and researching. And, I mean, I can explain that. But um, we're given a chance to be redeemed. Now, what does redeemed mean? It means Bought back. Bought back from what? Why? Well, we can go into that, but straightforwardly, to be redeemed is to be bought back. And the price was paid by Christ. Mm -hmm. God among men. Emmanuel. God among us. Mm -hmm. The Son of God is not only the Son of God, but He's God the Son. Which, of course, the Mormons and every other cult, that's the signifying that's the signature of a cult is when they don't do not identify Christ as God mm-hmm. because it's one thing to be a son of God and it's something entirely different to be God the Son right and he's three in one God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and we'll understand that you know I mean mm-hmm. there's some simple illustrations but we can't fully understand that with our p finite brains but that's who God is, and Jesus is God. Only God can die for our sins, mm-hmm. and and uh, He was fully man and fully God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we don't understand that either. 
You know, I heard a Rosicrucian say once that uh, uh, Christianity believes that God became man, and all other belief systems believe that man becomes God. Right, right. Uh, which, a, which, which is, per, you know, it's perfect. You know, pretty good. I mean, it's pretty it, capsule. It, it, it defines Satan because that's who he wants to be. Mm-hmm. He wants to. He wants to be the substitute for Christ, so he can quote keep you in his kingdom of darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. How how did from the time that you had that uh, experience, in which you knew God was reaching out to you, there's still there's still steps you have to take to become until you become in full fellowship with Christ. What what you happened know, for you I, to Mike, get to that I, I point? Think, I think that's different for everybody. Yeah. I I don't think no two Christian experiences are the mm-hmm. same. Right. I, I really don't. I mean, I've met seven year olds who 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 are fully. Dressed in the Word and, and right. fully connected to Christ as as I was thirty five years after I I became a Christian and mm-hmm. I, I and and I I know people my age in the, in their seventies who are Christians and they're still you know they're still sucking on the milk bottle you yeah know? so yeah. I mean you know there's no two of us are the same well the I important just, thing I just mean that, we, that when you had that experience and you recognize that that person on that crucifix that you saw hanging on the cross was mm-hmm. the person who delivered you from that. There was still much more for you to learn, though, oh, yes. about the understanding of God's Word, about the nature of the atonement and the sacrifice, what it meant to, to give your life to Christ. But you took that as your mission at that point, and even though you may have had some missteps along the way, that became your desire is to become part of the fellowship of Christ and, and to be an active member of his body, correct? A, a, a hunger, yes. I mean, because finally my search had, had reached its destination. But uh, by by no means was the journey over, for sure. In, in fact, it was barely what three, four weeks. I, I got into my old 1948 Volkswagen van and and drove back to Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, uh, all the time I, I was I was thinking, okay, you know, what do I do now? Where? Do I? And I thought, well, you know, I was raised a Catholic. Maybe I'll go, uh, you know. Uh, so I picked a Sunday morning and I and I tried to get into this Catholic church in Charleston, South Carolina. And they slammed the door in my face because they didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was you know God may a, have slammed that door in your face. <laughs> well, they did me a favor. Because, right. Then I and then I was as I was driving around, I was thinking, you know, well, you know, what church do I go to? You know, you know, I, I had the confidence. I knew the, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew the, the the Lord, even though I didn't know Him in those intimate turns, but I knew he was, you know, he had guided me all along, so I right. knew he was going to guide me someplace, and I I had the radio on, and it was J. Vernon McGee, uh. and, and he was preaching the Gospel yeah. of John, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and I, I, I stopped the car, and I got out of the car, and I raised my hands to heaven, that's when I realized that Jesus was God. That's when I fully entered into the kingdom of God. I, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't. I, I since went forward in, in a in a church and and got actively engaged and so forth. And I, as a Christian, you know, and I made all the mistakes, you know, because because you know, as as Paul, I mean, you're as much on fire for the truth as you are when you're working against the truth you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. almost in direct proportion so uh but uh and 
but it was the gospel. It was when I realized that Jesus was God the Son and that he died. He died and paid the price for me. And I didn't have to do anything except believe on in him mm-hmm. and, and, and love him for it. And and I did. I just I just felt overpowering love for him. It was the Holy Spirit. Was that the, allowed... bur- the burden and the angst of your whole life you'd been pursuing through music right. and trying to find excellence? Was that finally taken off your shoulders after your whole life? Oh, yes. It was a wonderful. Uh, uh, the place he gave me, he filled up that spot reserved, <coughs> excuse me, in my heart with his with his art, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> I have allergies this time of year, and sure. it's terrible. <coughs> you know, plus with everything you've put your body through, through what I read in that book, I'm I'm surprised that you have the strength that you have. But you know, the Lord has really <laughs> strengthened you in the midst of your life. Uh, but it's it's been, a, I know, a tough road for you. Yes. Um, I hate to do this, but you have to give me a moment. I need to okay. get some water, okay? Okay. But, Tom, what do you what do you think about this? Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our discussion pretty here. Pretty wild. It got pretty wild there. It was pretty pretty kind of mellow for a little while, and then all of a sudden we're flying outside of our bodies at Santa Cruz and talking Ekin Car yeah. out-of-body experiences and driving around South Carolina and a mm-hmm. 48 Beetle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to look at his book to find out the more intense portions of it here. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brother Sean, for our listeners, um, he was a household name uh, in music. In the in the late 60s, he pegged the cool meter. Oh, uh, within the, I'm just, man. I'm just bragging about you, Brother Sean, while you stepped away from the mic there. I'm just telling people, uh, if they're not familiar with you, your reputation pegged the cool meter in the late 60s. You you were ground zero where things were happening. People were listening to you. You were having a big impact on the music industry where the direction of rock music went. Uh, your songwriting, you had all sorts of impact with people. But yet you were still on a search. But you were a legitimate searcher. And the Lord preserved you uh, through his grace to this point where... Uh, you you uh, were able to come to a full knowledge of him, and it's obvious by hearing your testimony that that was complete. And I, I want to get here toward the end because I know our, our time's about up and your voice is about out. But if you if you would give us just a couple couple more minutes for, for some thoughts of yours. Um, by the way, I just want to tell our listeners one other thing, too, and I won't take your time in this, but you, your, your life had so many interesting twists and turns. You were even in the movie Swamp Thing, believe yeah. it or not, <laughs> and had an interesting Christian dilemma uh, that you had to go through while you were in the movie Swamp Thing. So, Yes, uh, uh, everybody, I, I know that you, that chapter in the book is um, it's uh, shortly after uh, I came to Christ and... Uh, Director Wes Craven, it was his first uh, major film directorial debut. And, of course, there was 12 of, of us as commandos who were trying to capture Swamp Thing. And uh, uh, you had to figure out on the script that each day on the set uh, what scene to be in and what scene to avoid because you didn't want to get killed off. Right. And uh, so myself and another fellow... We we were the only two left standing, so to speak, toward the end of the picture. So we asked Wes Craven for a line. Well, there's a catch-22 to get your Screen Actors Guild card, which people would kill for, mm-hmm. incidentally. Uh, 
you can't speak a line in a movie without a Screen Actors Guild card, and you can't get a Screen Actors Guild card mm-hmm. without speaking a line. So the the only mm-hmm. way the shortcut, if you, you can't you get on a waiting list and you, you'd be there for the rest of your life, there's you know there's thousands of people right. waiting for them. But uh, the director has to give you a, a a direct order, a direction to speak a line on the set, and that gives you a day player's contract, and you can take that and your five hundred or seven hundred dollars, and you can go get your Screen Actors Guild card. So here was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And although this would be I a chance for another career for you. In other words, after struggling for a number of years for different reasons music, you could have completely had a new career with this possible. Oh, yeah, I, I found it quite a lark, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I yeah. thought it was. But but I did have a proclivity for toward it because I could, I could kind of visualize the scene and I could mm-hmm. see what was required of me from the... Mm-hmm. From the uh, camera's viewpoint i don't know how to explain it but i i did understand it and i well you're a dramatic person you're used to being on stage evoking a mood you already had the showmanship and and you were used to being the director yourself because you directed the activities of the band in your group so that's 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 very true that's very true yeah it's but anyway he gave me the line and those of you who uh uh rent the movie you'll see that as i i'm bringing uh uh someone into the dungeon the little dwarf rat creature who has been who has partaken of the of the secret formula and uh and i putting him in my line was sorry bruno he was used to be one of my commando buddies it's every man for himself and god against all and i said I, I said, Wes, I can't say that. I'm a Christian. That's not true. And this is Wes Craven you were telling yeah, me. Yeah, the director, you know. And he said, he said, well, you uh, you say that line and you don't get a line. I mean, that's the one I wrote. That's, yeah. you know, for you, and and that's the line. So you said, you got 20 minutes. Well, here, you know, I mean, there's one in a million opportunity to get a Screen Actors Guild card and to you know, go back to Los Angeles and, and embark on this new adventure, which... As you know, it turns out to be quite hilarious. But um, <laughs> I went to uh, this other fellow, Nick. Uh, I can't think of his last name, but you've seen him in mm-hmm. films as a bit part player. And he was a Christian, and, and, and I asked him for advice. And during the twenty minutes, I had to make up my mind. And uh, he said, "Well, you're playing a part. You, you as a Christian aren't saying that. You as the commando." Uh, character that you're playing is saying that and i said well you know it kind of convinced me and i thought you know and i know that he had you know he said did some things that you know were Mm -hmm. unchristian like so it kind of made sense to me so so i i acquiesced and i you know but i knew i knew it was my first test Mm -hmm. my first challenge to face i i remember thinking before i went back into the set into the dungeon area. It's a real dungeon too. It's the Fort yeah. Sumter dungeon there in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, uh, <laughs> I remember it, I, it, it, the Lord didn't speak to me, but it, I, I, I heard this thing in my imagination of my mind: is that if you don't think that I can't get you a Screen Actors Guild card without you saying that line, then who do you think I am? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know. I should have listened. 
Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to know the end of the story, <laughs> you have to get the book, which can be obtained through bodywellmusicmachine.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll have that link there at futurequake.com. Uh, I got some real heavy-duty questions to ask you that I guess I'm going to have to leave because I know your voice is leaving and you you've been here long enough with us. But um, <laughs> I, I, my voice is these darn allergies in the in the California uh, Central Valley, this fall spring we've had, mm-hmm. and there's so many blooms now that are coming up, and they uh, they uh, they attack me, and. Uh, it, it, it passes. It's passes. It's just my voice isn't giving out. It's just the allergies make my nose run, and I start coughing. Wish I could tell you to come to Nashville and get that cured, but uh, we're as bad as anywhere <laughs> yeah, here. The high we, desert, it's not. We'd like for you to come here anyway, so you have a standing invitation to be part of our merry men here uh, through our Christian fellowship. But uh, but I, I wanted to mention that you, you did get involved in some pretty high-profile churches and singles groups. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them was in John MacArthur's church. Sure, church. And the other one, I believe, was in Jack right. Hayford's. Right, church on the way. It wasn't completely we, satisfying experience for you, was well, it? Well, you know, uh, as a as a more or less, I, w- I won't say mature Christian, but uh, yeah, well, well on my way to maturity. Uh, there was a group of us, uh, six or seven of us, and we uh, we would all go to to church on Sunday morning and we would go to Grace Community and then we would go to church on the way. We would go to the early service in Grace mm-hmm. Community, John Arthur's, and then we would go to Jack Hayford's church, church on the way after that because they had the singles group and, you know. And uh, so we toyed with the idea of getting a van, a white van and painting on the side of it church on the way to Grace. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the biggest difference that that at the time, and I have no way of knowing whether this is still the impression I would have of it, but that it was uh, quite simply there was a there was a kind of noble reserve when you walked into Grace Community. It was a is a, a learning teaching spirit is uh, uh, that that was you know joyless mm-hmm. I, I I can't put it any other way but when you walked into church on the way the Holy Spirit almost knocked you over <laughs> mm-hmm. the love and joy is just permeates the church and the difference became so obvious that I begin to wonder, you know, why am I even bothering to go to Grace? You know, because it's, I'm, intellectually I'm fed and challenged, but it's not feeding my spirit. And uh, uh, Church on the Way did, and that was, you know, but I, we still continue to do it. I mean, we did it for a couple of years that way. Hey, let me ask you something about this, because you're involved in singles groups. I spent a large part of my adult life in singles groups in church. Uh, I, I married later in life, and so I had a lot of time with this. What I would have suspected, if your singles groups were like most I'm familiar with, was that you, you, you were quite an intellectual. You knew a lot about life. You were well-read. 
you were thinking on deeper things. And I'm guessing it was probably hard for you in your Christian groups to find kindred spirits. The um, Yes, but uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, uh, I, I had a... I had a tendency to kind of take them over. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, So, uh, and it was, I mean, it's really difficult for me to control myself when, when a subject matter Uh from the word is brought up and they're, they're going into depth and into the layers of its significance. And, uh, I, I mean, the Lord just brings this revelation to me about it. And, and, uh, the first opportunity I have, you know, to contribute to the discussion, you know, the next thing you know, ten minutes has passed, and, I, and I'm doing a dissertation on this teaching mm-hmm. subject. And, and uh, so, depending upon them, I have to say not all. There, there were yeah. some leaders of the groups that, you know, they just smiled and sat back and let me right. go, you know, and, and 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 said, you know, it's a blessing, Sean, you know, to to, to have you you know, come to our group, which is wonderful. That's just wonderful, you know. It was just because the opportunity to, to have the Lord speak through you is, I, I don't think there's any anything more joyful than that. I, I know there isn't, you know. Hmm. It's, it's, and, but there were other times when, uh, you know, there, you know, I mean, we're all human beings, you know. <laughs> we have uh, We have our own little niches and self-identities hmm. and things like that, and then, some people didn't appreciate that at all, and so, you know, I wasn't asked uh, uh, to uh, to return. <laughs> well, well, I guess what I'm getting at, because you, you write about this a lot in your book, is that for people who are more the intellectual deep thinker type, a lot of times I see a culture in a lot of evangelical churches that almost is anti-intellectual. Sure. Whereas they make it synonymous with being liberal or being something right. that's away from the word, like like... Being able to think and contemplate is something uh, that is, you know, separate apart from understanding and grasping the word, being led by the spirit. You know, they may tolerate C.S. Lewis or a few people like that talked about, but that's about the extent of it. And I just well, wondered you know, I, how I, I that must give, I can give you an illustration of that. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, for instance, uh, we were having a discussion about uh, uh, predestination in, in in a study group, and. Uh, um, how the Lord lives in non-time, and as you know, mm-hmm. I have a fascination with time and mm-hmm. having explored it metaphysically. And which, and, which uh, by the way, you need to come to Branson, Missouri, in July because uh, we're going to be speaking at a, a conference called the Future Congress Conference, and mm-hmm. a gentleman who's a, David, a scientist David is going to be Hitt, talking believe, about yeah. uh, some new findings on. God being outside of time and non-dimensionless of time. Well, of course he's transcendent. Bible. He created time. Right. He's got to be transcendent of it. But there's there's some stuff that I think he's going to unveil that is Bonnewell worth. So take that <laughs> well, for what it, it's worth. Oh well, yeah, I would I would love to. But to finish the thought, um, and the discussion evolved or devolved into uh, uh, the moment of our death. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absent from the body for Christians, present with the Lord, which takes care of the question of reincarnation mm-hmm. once right. and for all. You know, you don't get a number of lives to get it right. You get one. You get one right. shot down here. There's a point in the man wants to die and then the judgment. That's right. And so, 
you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We, we can talk about how much time you're going to spend, even though you're not in time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, waiting for that judgment or non-judgment, as the case may be, in the great white throne or whatever. The um, so I said uh, I, I remember remember this very distinctly because it caused quite a stir in 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 the leadership of this rather large group and uh uh i said well the lord knows if we're appointed to die the lord knows the exact moment of our death i mean he created us mm-hmm. and he, he counts the hairs on our head and he so he knows the exact moment when we're going to die the year the hour the minute and the second i said now what's the one thing we all have in common that makes us die that's the moment that our heart stops, stops beating. So that means that the closest we can come to determining the degree of free will that we may have over how long we live is the beats of our hearts. How many beats of our heart do we have in a lifetime? And each of us has a different number of beats mm-hmm. of our heart. So... If I know that and I misuse those beats in drugs or in foolish, uh, stressful endeavors and so forth and so on, and I put stress on my heart, I either speed up or decrease the heart's pumping, uh, I can determine you know, through my own choices when that time of death will take place. So... It's aside from the other obvious reasons not to take drugs mm-hmm. and not to right. not 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 to you know live in unforgiveness with bitterness in your heart because if you have bitterness in your heart with unforgiveness, you're taking years off your life. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows that every beat of your heart when you have that anger and that that hidden bitterness in your heart. I mean, every two or three beats probably counts as one. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's if you get my meaning. So. I would I would say to your listeners, uh, uh, this is very true. I mean, the Lord the Lord punches our ticket, and you know, mm-hmm. He knows how many heartbeats we've got in in this our lifetime, and it's only one lifetime. So, you want to you know I mean aside from the obvious things of trying mm-hmm. to eat the right foods, who does you know? Right, right. But uh, uh, it's it's the other spiritual aspects of the uh, deterioration of the heart that we that we must be uh, careful of and. And I can think of, uh, you know, you think about if you honor your mother and father, you will live a long, right. rich life. Well, that's you know what that is? That's a life of love mm-hmm. by honoring your mother and your father. You're respecting God. You're respecting and revering God's will. And you're loving your parents, even though you may, you know, there are times in your life you don't feel they're, they're worthy of that mm-hmm. uh, unconditional love. But right. They are, and we are commanded to do it. And I don't think there's anything more difficult uh, uh, than walking in unconditional love. I mean, I don't know of any of us who who can. And in fact, none of us can. The only one who did was Christ. Mm-hmm. He had total unconditional love for us. But we need to exhort each other uh, to to strive for that. You know, I. I, I I hate to uh, come up to the end of this, but I know we need to wrap it up. I've taken you overtime here. But I'd like to summarize something of what I got from the book, if you don't mind. 
Okay. Um, you know, one thing I took from your book was that in your quest to realize your dreams and your creative expression and to make your mark in the arts and the philosophy of the world, um, the, the people that were all around you in your life, including even yourself, paid quite a price to accommodate your needs of freedom to travel and not be bound by family, financial and emotional needs, or any other constraints on your pursuits. And you always had some, particularly the financial ones, but there was a price to be paid. Uh, while at the same time, your efforts in these venues were often sabotaged by exploitative or envious business collaborators, or even your own actions and weaknesses, right. uh, including drink and drugs, for example. Uh, so it was you know, a lot of frustration in the process of making these sacrifices. Is your life a lesson to all of us wannabes like myself that want to leave a mark in this world uh, with either our wisdom or our talents? To be realistic in our expectations of how we can reach an extent of fulfillment in our fallen world. In other words, be much more realistic in how much we think we're going to self-actualize what we think we're going to be in this world. And to temper our ambition and focus a little bit in uh, our burden, uh, and I'm speaking myself, to save the world and the needs, uh, and temper that with the needs of the people who are around us, who sometimes can just founder in our wake in our pursuit of these things. Well, um, I, I don't think that there's a cookie-cutter modus operandi. I, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I would say, you know, we are, we are petitioned by the Lord to, uh, to go fishing, not clean the fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, hmm. uh, so it's, it, you, you can't do it. I mean, <laughs> why, why engage in a, in a mammoth, exercise in futility. I mean, it's just, don't do it. Whatever you set your hand and your heart to, keep the element of what I call the joy of discovery in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You you can outline your goals. There's nothing, there's no harm in that. Uh, And I'm even speaking from a a non-Christian view, Mm -hmm. uh, point of view. Your pilot star should of course be the Lord and His will, but that is best determined on a day-to-day basis by whatever you're doing. Do it with a joy of discovery, as if it's the first time you've ever done it, and and in, even if it's finding ways to improve on that which you have done before. Uh, do it with a glad heart, and and. Uh, Find the challenges and the frustrations that are inevitable in life as opportunities to invent a new mousetrap. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not you against the world. It's you against yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it isn't what happens to us that brings us sorrow and ruination. It's how we react to it, and this is a, probably the the biggest endorsement for accepting Christ and having Christ in one's life. Give it to Him; He wants it. Mm-hmm. He, he wants it. He wants all. He wants all that garbage and all that baggage. You know, the problem with us humans is 
we'll take all right, we'll throw it up to him and then we'll stand in the spot and wait for it to come back down to us. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, don't do it. Throw it up to him and move forward. Move forward in 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 the in the joy of your salvation, and don't allow the world and its its cages and its traps and snares. Because it, I mean, you know, as he says, there's trouble enough in each day without you going out and looking for it and making more trouble and problems for yourself by your attitudes and your reactions to people. You know, it's not an easy thing to say. And it's not an easy thing to do, but you're you're not a, a mealy mouth, stupid smile on your face, walking zombie. You know, I mean that's not mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. those, I'm sure many of your listeners understand that. It's an inner peace from knowing that you're not alone. Christ is right there in your heart, living through you. Because you have no life without him. The life without Christ is is all about you. Mm-hmm. And that's what your compassion should be directed toward. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the message that you've gotten from the years and the experience that's the life of Sean Bonnewell. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, um, you're, what, are you... About 71, is that right? I'm, I'm 70. I'll be 71 this August. 71 August. August 16th, as a matter of fact. Okay. That's, uh, 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 that's uh, Madonna's birthday, <laughs> and she's, she's yet to invite me to one of her parties, not that I would go. And it's also the anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. So uh, yeah. every year on my birthday, we mourn the passing of Elvis Presley. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, she's probably intimidated by your talent, because... Uh, I, I want to she even knows I exist. <laughs> well, she needs to because she needs to hear about Jesus, and I know she'd hear about Jesus from you. Uh, I, I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you're not familiar with Sean Bonnewell and Music Machine, to go to YouTube, just type in Music Machine Talk Talk, and you watch this this uh, very intimidating group there, and they're all black outfits and they're black glove, and you see this mesmerizing guy who just steals the scene. And he's a guy who he wrote a music that transformed rock music. He he was known and had a reputation as an incredible visionary uh, and innovator. Uh, he innovated with the lyrics that were way ahead of their time that defined the future of rock music. A sound, I think, probably one of the early fuzz guitar sounds. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're rock historians are. I don't know how true it is, but yeah. they they're. They're touting as the music machine as being progenitors for a, 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 actually quite a variety of rock expressions. But you know, I would say to to your listeners, if they're truly interested, just go to BonnieWellMusicMachine.com mm-hmm. and then click on the blog section. Yeah. You'll see different things there. If you click on the blog section, that'll take you to a a different website within the website, and that has all the latest. Okay. Uh, Thing so it's but it's Bonniewell B O N N I W E L L musicmachine dot com right and, and it'll you've come got Christ, up you got Christian music available too yes yeah, so you bet I do but but what I, I, do. I want people to understand is that you generated a mystique that changed the entire rock music industry and you stood for someone who was a deep thinker that was several steps ahead of everybody in what you were doing uh-huh. and now at your age. 
And now that you know Christ and that you've been liberated from so many other kind of things that beset you early in your life, I would like to think, if the Lord tarries, that your best days are ahead of you and that the best things that you can produce in the life of Sean Bonnewell for for the world are still waiting to happen uh, and, and that the rest of the stuff you've done up to now is small potatoes. What what well, kind should, of visions I, do you think the Lord's put in your mind and heart on, on for your remaining days? What He He wants, what is uniquely you, to to do in the world? You know, He's so full of surprises. Uh, uh, real quick, uh, one of the one of the very I was 19 years old, and I, and I mentioned that my, one of the very first groups I was in was called the Noblemen, a little folk trio in, in college, and we did uh, we recorded 12 songs, and. Uh, uh, the book comes with a uh, an anthology CD, which has all of the music that I've, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a it's a it's an overview of all the music right. that follows each chapter in the book, from the the noblemen, the wayfarers, the ragamuffins, which is the trio that became the music machine, which became the five piece group, and and then uh, through my metaphysical days, which I wrote a lot of music about, and so forth and so on, and some satire and and then all the way through my christian and so there's a there's a, a representation of every chapter and mm-hmm. in the music of that period in that anthology cd that comes with the book well i didn't have any of the nobleman uh songs mm-hmm. they, they'd been lost you know we were talking right. in 1959 you know i mean right. and uh, uh so i i was wondering what was next you know because i you know, that was the only thing that was missing mm-hmm. Uh, for my for my complete package for the book and the anthology CD, and darn, uh, you know, so I you know I said, how about that, Lord? I said, it, it, I know it's not any, anything's possible, uh, but it's, I, I would really dearly love to have that. Well, the next day I got an email from the engineer in Los mm-hmm. Gatos who recorded that Nobleman uh, album, and he said, uh, I'll send you the. The master tapes, if you'd like them. I mean, this is, you know. What was it, the late 50s? Yeah, 1959. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. you, you yeah. see, so you just never know what he has for you. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you know, he, he, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. He's promised that, you know. If we, if we're obedient and, and, and yeah. you know, we at least attempt to be obedient to his, his will, um, don't don't beat yourself up because right. you, you know you slip and fall now and then. It's, you just don't make a habit of it. You know? right. In other words, you slip and fall. Don't stay down there and crawl in the mud. Get up, brush yourself off. But brother, Sean, are, God you, are you still writing on. music? Are you still writing music? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, well I, I want your greatest work of your life to still come out ahead of you. Okay, and I want you to share that with us. Oh, yeah. that, that's a wonderful thing. Thank you. That's that, that's. I don't know whether it's going to happen, but uh, that well, does inspire me. You, know? you you are better equipped now to do it than you were back in 1966. So, I, I want to hear what the wisdom that Sean Bonnewell is going to write for the world to hear right now. And I want our listeners when you go watch this uh, guy growling on the screen there on YouTube, you think about he is one of the ones that Satan missed. Satan claimed a lot of those guys that you watch on YouTube of those late 60s bands, all those great talents that were incredible. Satan took a lot of them through drugs or or mysticism or whatever. But every once in a while, one falls through through his fingers and his clutches. And Sean Bonnewell is one of those those men 
who had something tremendous to give to our culture in that era. Uh, but now his greatest effort is being a testimony for Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, if you can't think of anything else to do, you need to do something sort of of that kind of genre from back then for a future Quake song for us. If that could inspire you for anything. Uh, okay, it's, uh, I'll, I'll work that around and, and what's left in my brain. And <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't take much for our show. No one, even our listeners, don't have to use too much of their brain. Although, if you listen to our archive of shows, it'll actually be more harrowing than some of your more mystical adventures in your past. <laughs> Uh, I, I think you'll. Uh, most people end up screaming or uh, needing some kind of assistance after, but I think you will enjoy the process. And uh, we'd always like to have feedback from you on what you think about the Future Quake Show. And stay plugged in with us and come back and give us you, your two cents on uh, what you think is going on in the world. And I want to thank you so much for your visit with us here at Future Quake. Well, thank you. It was, it, it was a wonderful opportunity and a pleasure to to share uh the the truth of Christ in in my life and how he's he's been faithful to uh, uh, to give me the desires of my heart mm-hmm. and 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 to reassure me in all ways that my salvation is forever and that I have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Amen. And and that that leads to one of your biggest challenges you're going to have is that uh, I'm going to be one of your groupies in eternity. And when you get that new band going, I want you to show me how to play tambourine at a minimum. If, if you can't teach me anything else, I want to stick me on the perimeter at least if you can. Because well, uh, you're the kind of guy I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with your garage in the New Jerusalem, if that's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I've lived, the Lord has a wonderful sense of humor because I, I wrote the book Living in a Garage. I spent almost 20 years li- actually living in a garage, and that's where I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, uh the uh i it's doubtful that uh i'll have a garage in heaven or that well you i mean we're going to be on equal footing mike and tom i mean we'll have the mind of christ we'll be able to go anywhere instantaneously anywhere in the universe anywhere in time and uh but I might want to hang out in a garage with you. I'm, I might want to, you know, sure we can go anywhere we go, you know, across the universe, but there'll be a time when we want to just jam a little bit and experiment. We'll have a lot of time on our hands, and we'll just talk about how much we love Jesus, and he'll be teaching us all sorts of things. And uh, in the meantime, I want our listeners to get the book. It's called Beyond the Garage, and this is BonnewellMusicMachine.com. Is that correct? Right, and then you click on the blog. Okay. Go to the blog, become a regular uh, reader. And again, Brother Sean, thank you so much for joining us on Future Quake, and we certainly look forward to having you back again soon. Well, thank you, and and, uh, blessings to everyone by his loving and merciful grace. Amen. Yeah, man. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom. We're talk-talking, (laughs) talk-talking. Yeah, exactly. That's such a cool song. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed uh, our time with Sean Bonnewell. This is a little bit it was a throwback to the early days of Future Quake when mm-hmm. we had very different kind of guests like this. Yeah. The man, well, the man loves Jesus. Oh man, boy, he was he was fired up there at the end. Uh, he loves Jesus and uh, incredible talent. If you, if you don't know '60s music, he may not be familiar with you. But if you do, uh, the Music Machine was the happening thing at the time, and he was considered sort of a genius. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I that still black want, glove. I want to see him to. Uh, I want to see him do more. I mean, he's when you read his book, and I recommend everybody get the book. It's called Beyond the Garage. It is an intense read. It is like listening to your most intense future quake times ten. That tells mm-hmm. you something. So wow. Um. So anyway, and and a <laughs> and a complex read. Sort of like some of our our times here at Future yeah. Quake. But um, even Russ Distar is going whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freaks him out. Um, but what's so neat is when you see people who were big in show business in these kind of things that were icons of culture uh-huh. that made it. They made it to Christ. They didn't get destroyed like all of the other people, the Janis yeah. Joplin's, the mm-hmm. you know um, Jim Morrison's, and on and on and on. Jimi Hendrix. You know this guy for whatever reason, maybe the Lord saw the sincerity of his heart. You know, it was just God's grace. God saw fit to bring him around, even though he took a rough, horrible path. Yeah. And it just makes me excited that the Lord's doing things that you and I don't even know about through people that we don't know. They're not of this fold. Mm-hmm. Yo. And doing all sorts of things. Yeah. And it'd be really cool if his testimony could have a big impact in the sleep paralysis community. Well, we'll see what happens, man. I'm gonna give him a give him a call here in another day or so. And well. That would, that would be really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we look forward to hearing your feedback on it. But be sure and, and get his book. I'm sure he could probably use the help uh, financially and otherwise mm-hmm. like the rest of us mm-hmm. from some things like this because uh, I know his time is just devoted to the Lord. Um, but someone else who can talk to you is Merv. He can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, guess it's time we wrap this puppy up. Let's wrap this boy up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be with you. We thank you so much for all your goodness to us and your faithfulness to the show. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.